Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Crossroads, good to be with you today. Uh, We are wrapping up our series on course corrections. We've been looking at some of the things that happened in the early church where course correction was required. And we started off talking about false teaching. We've talked about gossip and slander. But there are so many other things you could talk about. There are misunderstandings that need a course correction. There are misunderstandings in terms of coming to the communion table or the common table. Uh, There were class distinctions. There were arguments over what ceremonial rituals needed to be carried on in the church and what could be left behind. And again and again and again, course corrections were offered. Course corrections were needed. And isn't that so true in uh, your life, in my life, that God always offers course corrections? Uh, There is always room for forgiveness and grace and a fresh new start. And why is it? Why is it the course corrections were so desperately needed? Why is it that we see reading through the New Testament in the early church that, you know, this was made a priority Uh, that these things weren't just simply ignored or swept underneath the rug. They were addressed head on. Uh, They were talked about and course corrections were offered. Why was that such a priority? If you were even going to think about it, what happens? What happens if these things that were going on in the early church, what happens if these things that were going on in the church? Because these things didn't happen just 2,000 years ago. They they continue to happen. What would happen if they're never addressed? And in one word, where is something that this will always lead to? If you have that word in your mind, it might be this word. It would be the word division. Because, man, whenever these things are ignored, whenever these things aren't dealt with, uh, division always happens. And division in the church is what? It's, it's always bad. Uh, some of you have come to me and like you're celebrating. You're like, oh, my words, our small group is just like, boom, it, it's blown up. And we have more people that we can't even be a small group anymore. And you're like, we're going to divide into two groups. And there's like panic on my face. I'm like, no, no, no. Everything you said was good, except you're not going to divide into two groups. You're going to multiply. You're going to multiply into two groups. And whenever you see a church that is really good at church planting, you know, and every few years there's some like a hiving off of 50 or 100 or 200 people to go and to start a new church, those churches never say, we're going to divide into another church. You never use the word divide. It's we're going to multiply into more and more churches. Because division in the church is always bad. Division always leads to bad things happening. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, he he says it like this. Uh, He says, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Have you experienced that? I mean, over the past 2,000 years, and over the past years, Spirit of God mightily at work in a church. He's doing great things in them and through them and, you know, around them. And then division takes hold. Division takes root, and it's just sort of like, whoosh. Spirit of God just seems to disappear, and all the great things that were happening don't happen anymore, and churches are harmed, and man, some churches close down, and when division takes hold and it's not dealt with, man, that's tough. It's horrible results. It's why it's so important that we always remain one church. See, division is the exact 
opposite of what Jesus wants for the church. What Jesus prayed for for the church is that we would be united, that we would be one. That we would be one. Heard about a pastor, uh, he was dealing with, you know, a really unruly, like, young kids class. I mean, they were just making life miserable for their school teacher. And, and, like, the teacher didn't know what to do. There was all this arguing. Uh, it was like everybody wanted what they wanted, when they wanted it. Everybody wanted to get their own way. It's basically a bunch of little kids that act like, uh, just like us adults do when we're not at our best, Right? And so the preacher, you know it's bad when the pastor who is not gifted at dealing with little kids is called in. So he's called in as the authority figure to talk to all these young kids. And he starts talking about, you know, all the one another's in the church, about why it's so incredibly important for us to be one. And he goes through, you know, we're to love one another, care for one another, encourage one another. And he just keeps going on and on. I mean, it's like this great theological thing on the importance of us all being one. And in the middle of this great, you know, talk, this four-year-old just bursts into tears, hysterically crying. And the pastor doesn't know what to do. This isn't his skill set. And so finally, in the midst of this four-year-old just crying over and over hysterically, the Sunday school teacher leans in and she's like, Can you, what, what's wrong? What, what's going on? And he's like, you know, come on, I've already been one. I want to be five. And, you know, maybe you've experienced it before. Maybe you've been part of a church where they're just not one anymore. They're just not one anymore. And you've experienced that pain and you've experienced that hardship. And you know that tension that comes into place. You've experienced a split or you've experienced a church that's Clothes, or you've experienced a church that gets off course or off mission, and it's not the worst of it. Man, when division takes hold, our testimony is impacted. Back in the 1600s, Thomas Mason, he says this, divisions in the church always breed atheism in the world. Divisions in the church always breed atheism in the world. Do you get that? Not only does division hurt the church, like, Small letters, the church, individual churches. But man, when division happens in the church, it impacts the testimony of man, capital letters, the church, nationwide, worldwide. From an outsider perspective, when you start hearing about one or a few churches that are having division problems, they're arguing, they're backbiting, uh, you know, people are like, why would I ever want to be a part of that? And people make the assumptions that just because that's the way that a, a one or a few churches are, they start to think that that's the way that all churches are. And it so hurts our testimony and our impact on the world. Now, I'm going to sort of date myself here, but how many of you can remember wood paneling like from the 60s and 70s? Anybody know what that looks like, right? And no offense if that's still in your home, and no offense if you love wood paneling. I grew up in a home, wood paneling everywhere. My dad just absolutely loved it, right? Heard about a church, uh, knew about a church that man, their whole sanctuary was wood paneling, that dark 60s, 70s wood paneling. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of lights you put in that room, right? It was just dark. And decades had passed, and you know, things needed to change. But just in trying to 
repair the wood paneling. In other words, either to paint it white or to tear it down and put up drywall. I mean, it caused division in the church. People were like, you know, my grandfather, he, he paid for that wood paneling. Or people were like, my parents, like they spent their weekends here at the church putting up that wood paneling. How dare you tear that out? How dare you paint over that? And isn't it just like the silliest little things that can divide a church or keep us from moving forward? But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it, it hurts our testimony. Who wants to be a part of a church where they're arguing over simple little things like wood paneling? See, that's why you and I, we do our part. You and I, we do our part to represent Jesus well. We as the church, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we do our part to represent the bride of Christ well to be a light in our community, to be a part of a positive testimony where we want our community to know that, you know, not only are we for them, but that God is for them, but the, the church is for them. And division happened 2,000 years ago, but it didn't stop then. It continues on. And you might even be someone who thinks like division's even amped up over the recent years or the recent decades. And here's what we know that Division and fighting and backbiting within a church, it always demoralizes, it discourages, it deadens the effectiveness of the church. So what do you do? What do you do when division takes hold? What do you do when division takes root? How do you address it? How do you course correct division? It's a great question. Let's take a look at just one case example. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, the early church in Corinth. I mean, there is division and there is tension. And when there's a lack of unity, there is tension. So going to Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he gives them straightforward instructions to live in harmony with each other, live in harmony with each other, and let there be no divisions in the church. He addresses it head on. And this word division, the Greek word that we have here, it's sort of like where we get our word schism from, and it literally means like the tearing apart of a garment, the ripping apart of something. And this word harmony, to live in harmony, that Greek word, it's all about the mending things back together. It's actually a medical term for when bones are broken or dislocated. It's bringing it back together. It's a term that's used for mending a fishing net back together. And so Paul was literally giving this straightforward instruction to repair the tears. This so needs course corrected that you need to repair the tears. And how do you do that? You do that by not majoring on the minors, by not focusing on the little things that can so easily distract or disunite. You keep the focus on Jesus and his mission, his purpose for his bride, for the church. And what does it look like? What does it look like for a church to live in harmony with one another? What are some things that you see when a church is being united, when it's living in harmony? Well, they agree on the major things. Jesus Christ is son of God. Paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Rose again three days later, defeated death. 
And we can focus on all those and agree on all those core things and all those fringe pieces. We, we are allowed to disagree about the things that aren't part of the core of our faith and of what the church is all about. The church that's living in harmony, the church that's united, they get things done. Churches unite in living in harmony. They've learned to love those and to love those, even those who disagree with them. See, a church is being divided. It's hard to accomplish anything, and they accomplish hardly anything together. It's usually individual segments of some people or a certain schism, a certain group. But churches united can accomplish things together as a whole. What are some things like just for us? What are some things in just recent weeks that we can come together as a whole one? Well, we just finished our church-wide study on being known for what you're for. And it's so unique that, you know, out of 52 weeks a year, we say adult ministries, every single segment, of that, small groups, every single segment of that. For 40-some weeks, you get to do sort of whatever you're planning, what's best for your group. But there are just those four to six weeks where every year we come together. And we ask all adult ministers to put everything else on hold because we believe it is so incredibly healthy and important for us to all be rowing in the same direction for that period of time. Later this afternoon, you, the church, are doing something that we could not accomplish if not the church coming together to pull off something like our harvest celebration. I think we need more things like that. Just, just maybe some small doable things, maybe some big God-sized things. I don't know, just some more things that could pull us together. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor George had our worship teams and tech teams together for uh, an appreciation. And we were at the Flinchball Orchard, and we were meeting in a pavilion. And, and Ruth came up to me, and she's like, we need one of these. And I'm like, oh, Ruth, I am like so with you. I mean, we got this land. I mean, a pavilion. I mean, what a way for the church family. As a church, we could use it. Individuals could use it. Our community could use it. Earlier on in the pandemic, uh, I was part of a wedding rehearsal at a church in Leola. But it's when nobody was meeting in person when doors weren't open. But we did everything in their pavilion in the back. And at one end of the pavilion, you know, it's like this kitchen. At the other end of the pavilion, this huge stone fireplace and a bathroom on each side. And then the walls, like the walls were like all garage doors. So you could sort of open and close as much as you wanted. And I'm like, oh, who wouldn't want one of these like during a pandemic, right? But maybe we get together on something like that. Maybe you have a shared dream that that's something that we could go after as a church, or maybe you know that, you know, the room we're in and the hallways that you walk out here, it's 12 plus years old now and the carpet's looking like it and the paint could use a fresh coat. Those are small bite-sized things that we could go after together. Maybe it's another, like another big outreach that we could do in the spring, something that we could come together on. Things that we all do together as a church. So how do you keep the church healthy? How do you get to a place where there's harmony without divisions? Well, how does Paul do it? Let's look back here again at verse 10. He says, I appeal. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Paul begins with an appeal. And it's not an appeal of who he is. Hey, 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 
I'm the dude who started this church, so based on that, listen to me. Or it's not because, hey, you know, I'm not Peter, but I'm getting up pretty high up there. People are listening to what I have to say. That's not his appeal at all. His appeal is simply based on the authority of Jesus Christ and what the bride of Christ, the church, is supposed to be like. He's concerned for the church in Corinth, and he urges them to be of one mind, to be united in thought and purpose. And don't we often mess this up? We, we, we really mess up what it really means to be of one mind, to be of one thought and one purpose. Here's the mistakes that we normally make. See, unity isn't uniformity. Because we think sometimes that unity is everybody agreeing with everything. The way I say it, that would be so incredibly boring, right? Like we're not a bunch of mindless robots who agree on everything. We used to agree on the majors, not the minors. But here's the other part of it that we sometimes mess up. Unity isn't universalism. In other words, it isn't like, hey, anything and everything goes. Believe what you want, do what you want, it doesn't really matter. That's not what unity is all about. We have a statement of faith, some very clear boundaries for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have some position papers that help to spell out some of the things that we're dealing with in the culture and the world around us. See, unity is always held in the midst of diversity. It brings together many ideas and thoughts and personalities and even preferences. There's always room for differing opinions. And you don't have to have everybody agreeing on everything to be able to move forward. But you become united in purpose and cause, and you work towards a common goal. Right? We all have our preferences, don't we? Well, what are some of our preferences? What are some of the things that we're never going to agree with on a church? I'm never going to get all of you to agree on as a church. Let's have some fun with this, right? The thermostat. The thermostat. It is always too hot in this room for me. I always want it colder. Some of you, you are cold at times, and you're like, let's crank the heat. We're never going to agree on the thermostat. I don't get my way. What about coffee? I am opinionated on coffee. I think coffee should be strong with just a hint of flavor. That's hard to come by, right? We've never had flavored coffee in our cafe. For some of you, it's too strong. For some of you, it's too weak. We don't have to agree on that kind of stuff. Oh, here's my favorite one. I can't ever talk about this without talking about this one. Volume, right? Volume. Pastor Jeff, I have just crossed my 10-year anniversary here at Crossroads. Have you ever once heard me make this statement? The drums were just too loud. No, not once, right? I believe the drums should rearrange organs inside my body. Uh, I want every worship service to sort of resemble a blue man group concert. So it's never loud enough for me, but it is way too loud for some of you. And for some of you, it's just right. We're never going to agree on volume. And that is so perfectly okay. And there's nothing wrong with brothers and sisters in Christ disagreeing on these things. There's nothing wrong with trying to convince somebody that your opinion or thought process is right. What's wrong is when it leads to division. What's wrong is when it breaks fellowship. 
What's wrong is when it harms relationships and friendships, when it crosses those lines. So how do you live in harmony? How do you repair the tears? How do you be of one mind and one purpose? Here's another thing that's key. Maybe you've never thought about this, but you sort of have to agree on the purpose of the church. You have to agree on the purpose of the church. And there are many differing opinions out there regarding the purpose of the church. And I would say they don't all line up with New Testament theology. For some people, I mean, the church is just a social club. It's where you come to get to see other people, have fellowship, get to know other people. And yeah, there's a social aspect of church that we love. But church is primarily not a social club. Other people say, well, church is primarily a place where I'm cared for. I want you to be cared for. It's not the purpose of the church. I want church to be a place where you're cared for. But it's not the primary purpose of the church. Well, I know, church is a place, it's like a community action organization. Uh, We're going to like feed the hungry, take care of the poor. We're going to make all of our focus on focusing and uh, addressing injustices in our society. All those are really good things. All those are things that can happen within a church. But the church is primarily not a community action organization. Some people think about the church and they simply think about a building. But the church isn't a building. Never has been, never will be. A church is the bride of Christ. And put quite simply, it is a gathering of Jesus' followers. The church is you and I together, a gathering of Jesus' followers. And we're working towards the great commandment of making disciples who, great commission of making disciples who make disciples. And we're working towards the great commandment that's all about a life of love, loving God and loving others. That means loving people who aren't like us, people who are part of the church, people who aren't part of the church. Church has existed for 2,000 years. Leaders like me have come and gone. Governments and nations have come and gone. But the church remains. And the church remains because people have stayed united around purpose. United around Jesus, united, uh, or united around mission. I mean, come on, Crossroads. You're a young church. You're only 200 plus years old. Like, that's only like 10% of the history of the church, right? You're a young church. You're only 200 plus years old. How does the church make it hundreds of years? By never changing? No, those are the churches that disappear. By always having to agree on everything to be able to move forward? No, those are the churches that disappear. In our our 200-year history, and even in our recent history, we don't get everything right. We're not a perfect church. I mean, there have been opportunities for those tears, those divisions to form, those differings of opinions to hold us back. We remain united, united, harmony together in our mission to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. The church doesn't just survive, but it thrives as it changes methods and models, but remains faithful to message and mission. Some of the ways I love to say it for Crossroads. There were people 
that were like, we're not going to build a building. We've always met in barns. What a waste of resources to build a building dedicated to church. I am so against that, but we didn't let those few people keep us from building a building. I am sure that there are people in 200-year history that didn't want there to be indoor plumbing. What a waste of resources. We're thankful they didn't hold the church back, right? There are people who didn't want to start new models or methods, or they didn't want to end models or methods of ministry. But we don't let the few hold back from being able to move forward in mission and purpose and commonalities. Tozer writes this. Tozer in The Pursuit of God says, Has it ever occurred to you? Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers. 100 worshipers being together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Okay, that, what is he saying? Unity for the sake of unity doesn't work. Unity just for the sake of fellowship doesn't work. Trying to agree with each other about everything doesn't work. Our unity comes from one. Unity comes from following God. Unity comes from being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the division problem in the church of Corinth. What actually was going on? Well, what was going on that brought about this urgent need for a course correction by Paul? Simply put, some quarreling was going on. We don't use that word quarreling a lot, do we? But quarreling is like a heated argument or disagreement. And these disagreements were tearing the church apart. Go to the very next verse, verse 12, and here's what's happening. Some of you are saying... I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Church in Corinth was being divided, what, over personalities, Church in Corinth is being divided by identifying with different and varying leaders and thinking that was the right way to go. And Paul confronts the Christians in Corinth and he says, you know what, none of that's right. It just only leads to factions. And he talks to all the factions at once and he tries to bring them back together. And he does it in such a way that we can look back and laugh at this, can't we? I mean, has Christ been divided into factions? That's just silly. Um, was I, Paul, crucified for you? That's silly or maybe blasphemous, right? Uh, were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. And we can look back on this and it sounds funny. Like, why on earth were they disagreeing about things like this? But if you were living... 
in the church of Corinth at this time, this was real and this was raw to you. You could feel the tension. You saw the division happening. You saw brothers and sisters going at and against one another over all of these things. And isn't that the case with most of our quarrels or disagreements? Given enough time, we can look back and we can laugh about them. But when you're living them in the here and the now, man, that is so incredibly tough to work through. Paul says God didn't send him to be a cult leader or to have a cult following. They're all to be brought back together in harmony under the name of Jesus Christ. One of my principles of ministry has always been we're Jesus Focus. We're Jesus central. It's always about team ministry, not personality driven ministry. Have you ever heard this statement? Sound familiar at all to you? A house divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. Some of you would say, well, that's like Abraham Lincoln, right? He, he used that phrase a lot throughout the Civil War. Uh, whether it's in his debates or in his addresses. But does it sound a little bit older than that? Can you go back to the words of Jesus in Mark? And he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Jesus took the principle of unity so incredibly seriously that he not only taught it, it's one of his key prayers. When he prays for you, when he prays for the church, it's what he prays for. Let's just one glance at that. Here's Jesus' prayer. I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Jesus calls us. Jesus points us in that direction. And if you've been experiencing any form of those divisions that are happening, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to do a course correction in our lives? To do a course correction in your families, to do a course correction in our church, to do a course correction in our community, in our country. May we all be united, knit back together. May the tears be repaired as we unite around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Common purpose, common mission, common Lord. If you want to respond to today's message on your connection card, whether you're in person or if you're online, it just simply reads like this. It's just saying the verse that we started out with. I want to do my part. I want to do my part to live in harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And whatever your part might be, would you do that? Would we allow Jesus to be glorified in us and through us? May we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work of course correcting us and uniting us together, and may our testimony to our community be one of love and grace and forgiveness, 
one that draws people in and points people to Jesus Christ. Join me in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you that you offer course corrections. And it's so easy to allow disagreements over minor things to create those schisms, to create those divisions within our relationships, with our family, with our community, even within brothers and sisters in Christ. So may we be willing to do that hard work of repairing the tears. May we be people who represent you well, Jesus, who represent your bride, the church, well to a community. May people see us as being a community of faith and of love and grace and forgiveness. May a community see us as being united in one purpose, in one mission. And may you continue to do a great work in us and through us and around us as we work together to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. May we be one. May your prayer for us, Jesus, be made true. May we be united around you. We pray this all in that bold, strong name. Our Lord and Savior, your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.